six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. No power frequency. Good afternoon and welcome to A Public Affair. My name is Rochelle Wilson and I'll be your host this hour. It's the 4th of July here in the good old U.S. of A., which means many Americans are celebrating Independence Day in some form or fashion, with parades, fireworks shows, and family barbecues featuring red, white, and blue desserts. In 1941, the 4th of July was declared a paid holiday for all federal workers, and since then, many businesses have followed suit by offering the day off. Still, this is your friendly reminder that many service industry workers don't get the day off or aren't paid if they do. For many, this holiday meant to celebrate freedom is a source of mixed feelings. It has also been a site of protest for the past two centuries, a time for Americans to air their grievances about the ways in which not all of us are truly free. This year is no different. As we speak, a group in Milwaukee is marching for what they're calling the People's Independence Day to protest recent Supreme Court rulings. On their event page, they write, quote, In light of the Supreme Court rulings, we're taking to the streets to fight against Wisconsin State Statute 940.04, which outlaws abortion. Additionally, the Supreme Court has ruled that the Miranda requirement is gone. It is evident that the separation of church and state is crumbling. Oppressed people have never been free in this country, and we cannot expect politicians or the courts to make us free. Only we, working people, can make ourselves free. This means we must fight for control over our own bodies, control over the police, and control over our own institutions, end quote. Across the country, many women and reproductive justice advocates are boycotting the fourth as a way to mourn lost rights with the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. As one meme puts it, the 4th of July has been canceled due to a shortage of independence. Perhaps you're feeling this way today, too. In the second half of the show, we'll be hosting an open line for you to call in with your thoughts on the 4th of July. For the first half, I'll be joined by Sophie Bjork-James to start untangling the contested meanings of Independence Day. Sophie Bjork-James is Assistant Professor of Anthropology at Vanderbilt University, where her research focuses on race and racism, white nationalism, the religious right in the U.S., and reproductive politics. I thought she would be the perfect person to talk with about the contested meanings of Independence Day, and she'll be with us for the first half of the show. Sophie Bjork-James, welcome to A Public Affair. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you especially for joining us on a holiday. I'm sure you have some grilled meat somewhere calling your name. (laughs) We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, happy, happy to be talking about this really important topic today. So you have been looking at so many of the interconnected topics that are kind of coming to bear today on the 4th of July. How has this holiday been exclusionary from the start? Yeah, that's really where we need to we need to start this conversation, right? That, you know, I think a lot of people today are reflecting on, okay, what does this mean? What is what does the Fourth of July mean? What does it mean to celebrate um, U.S. history? Um, but you know, from the if we go to the actual text of the Declaration of Independence, it has some like language that's really really offensive today, right? Uh, the text talks about, you know, the it's claiming um, independence from the King of England and kind of this goes on along, there's like a long list of criticisms of what the King has done, um, but one of them is, quote, he has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on 
the inhabitants, inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. So right, right from the start, the declaration is saying that, you know, the, the people claiming themselves to be free are not Native. They're not Native Americans, they're not First Nations people, and instead are framing those people using extremely violent stereotypes as though people who are defending their homes from invasion are, you know, savages, right? So um, from the, the text itself, it's like clearly identifying, you know, who is, who is, who is, who the independence is for, right? And like, so this has changed over time, but that language remains right in the, is, is in the, is, remains in the Declaration of Independence. Um, you know, clearly at the time too, the, you know, uh, people of European descent um, were granted freedom and participation in, in the new democracy. Uh, but, you know, the, um, the, the new U.S. state uh, maintained a policy of enslaving um, people of African descent, um, especially in the South, but um, at the beginning of the country throughout throughout uh, the United States. Uh, and, you know, so there's uh, this really amazing quote from um, Frederick Douglass, right, the, um, who had a, a former enslaved person who found his freedom, who spoke in 1852, you know, uh, uh, in a speech, what what to the slave is the Fourth of July, um, and where he he talks he talks about you know uh, you know this for the purpose purpose of this celebration is the Fourth of July. It is the birthday of our national independence and of of sorry of your national independence and of your political freedom. This to you is what the Passover was to the emancipated people of God. It carries your minds back to the day and to the act of your great deliverance and to the signs and to the wonders associated with that day, uh, with that act and that day. The celebration also marks the beginning of another year of your national life. Um, is And then it, he goes on to say, I say it with a sad sense of the disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. And he goes on to say, you know, celebrate, go ahead, celebrate your independence, but recognize it doesn't include the independence of the of um, people of African descent who at the time were um, could be subject to enslavement, right? In terms of completely um, not a part of of that independence of that democracy. That's right. And it feels like we're just only having echoes of that this year with the recent Supreme Court rulings. And especially here, I'm thinking of the one limiting tribal sovereignty. And it just sort of feels like, wow, is it 1776 and not in the good way? <laughs> so what is happening now with this holiday? I'm wondering, has the rise of white nationalist movements in recent years kind of shifted how people have been thinking about and celebrating Independence Day and national pride more generally? What are you observing? So if we take a step back and think about our current kind of political moment and this hyper um, partisanship uh, and extremism um, that that we're seeing, I think there's two real issues that need to be front and center when we're understanding these. Um, so one is the fact that the United States has always been multiracial, but it's not always been a multiracial democracy, 
right? It's been a multiracial, we all, we've always had a multiracial population, but we've never, but uh, the kind of privileges of democracy that are promised in the Declaration of Independence um, originally were not offered to everyone, right? They weren't, they were, were, not, were not offered to people of African descent. They were not offered to Native Americans. Um, you know, those groups didn't gain full citizenship until the 20th century. Uh, women were denied the right to vote um, also until the 20th century. So it was very exclusionary, right? But what we're seeing today is that um, demographically, sometime within a, around 20 years or 21 years, we will suddenly, we will see a shift towards uh, a minority white population in the United States. And what's what what's happening with that is that it's really shifting the national narrative where for up until quite recently, you know, white whiteness was kind of the unspoken norm, right? In terms of our political culture, in terms of our democratic culture, our education, uh, and that as, you know, there's people of color are gaining uh, dem more demographic representation, but also political and cultural power, the narrative is starting to shift, right? And, you know, there's always been white Americans who have, you know, challenged the racism that's instituted in the country. Um, and increasingly, white, pe white people are also want questioning um, and challenging these exclusionary histories and the way that they're impacting the present. Um, but I think that demographic shift is really asking us, can we actually be a multiracial democracy? Right, that isn't privileging one group over another group, but is actually allowing for freedom to be, you know, lived and embodied by multiple groups. And, you know, there, we're seeing very different responses to that. Right. On the one hand, we can see, I mean, you know, police brutality has been happening since before we were a country, right? Um, especially targeting, you know, First Nations, Black, um, Indigenous, like Latinx people. Right. And so what but what happened with George Floyd is I think it's this touchstone of both. It was an egregious murder out in public that was documented. But I think it also represents really this entire history of the United States using state power to oppress people of color and people rising up and saying, we don't want that anymore. Right. We want to have a multiracial democracy. We want, you know, like Martin Luther King's dream that, you know, it's like it's we're not going to be judged based on the color of our skin, but the content of our character. Right. That more and more people are wanting that. But I think also in response to see, that's partly in response to this demographic change. And, but then we also are seeing and this is survey data is showing that increasingly many conservative, especially conservative white people, and I'm um, speaking of this from the social science literature, are, are af really afraid of this change and that they kind of believe that there can only be a racial hierarchy. And so if white people are the minority, then white people will be persecuted. Often in the, they imagine it in the same ways that people of color have been persecuted in historically. And so I really see that as a crisis of imagination, right? Um, that, and it's interesting because actually surveys show that um, black and white Americans um, understand uh, rate, understand um, freedom differently, that white Americans tend to see freedom in individual terms, like what can I do, <laughs> right? And like, I, like what, as an individual, whereas African-Americans tend to see freedom in collective terms. Right, in terms of 
like, you know, like protection from discrimination, um, protection for the group. Um, and so what that translates to is I feel like there can be what the partly the history of our country means a lot of white people kind of almost it's like a deficit in democratic thinking, right, and being able to kind of even imagine flourishing in a multiracial democracy, right, and so I really think that's such a huge thing that's happening today. Um, and I want to bring in like the, there's this like really phenomenal legal scholar, Heather McGee, whose book, The Sum of Us, um, came out, early, I think earlier this year. And you know what, she makes this really important argument that racism hurts everyone. It doesn't just hurt people of color. It clearly hurts people of color, but it also hurts white people and especially lower income white people because uh, you know, she gives this example of how during desegregation across the South, um, cities shut down their public swimming pools, like filling them in, burying them as a way to not allow them to be integrated. Right. So it's such a great example of how in so many ways, like we in opposing multiracial democracy, we actually limit public goods for everybody. Right. And so I think we're at this moment, partially because of demographic change, partially because of, you know, just broader education, um, people fighting against this, these histories of exclusion, where we can say we actually want we want the goods for everyone. Right. We want to have a, a functional democracy that, you know, is equal to, you know, has equal access to everyone. Uh, and but that is not like the, we're currently at a contest, right? Some people are wanting to implement a multiracial democracy uh, and some people are wanting to limit uh, democracy towards only white people or even are no longer supportive of democracy uh, if it doesn't support white supremacy, right? So we're seeing increasingly, um, and this is incredibly troubling, increasingly, um, especially again, many conservative white people are uh, on surveys at least saying they would support, they, they're supporting authoritarian values and anti-democratic values if it means maintaining their way of life, right? And so I think we're, we're at this contest, right? In terms of like, you know, do we actually support a multiracial democracy that allows for, you know, freedom for everyone or are we gonna limit that? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Rochelle Wilson, and right now we're talking with anthropologist Sophie Bjork-James about the contested meaning of Independence Day. You can join the conversation with a question for Sophie Bjork-James by giving us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Again, that number is 608 256 2001 extension 9 we'll be hosting an open line for the second half of the show so please save your longer juicy commentary for that segment we would love to hear from you so in our final 10 minutes or so here with sophie bjork james i wanted to ask you about your book the divine institution which we would love to have you on and just kind of break down what's going on in that book but how specifically do the politics and family values of the religious right play out on a holiday like the fourth of july yeah, so you know, white white evangelicals are the largest voting block in the United States and have been since the early 1980s. They represent about um, over 20 percent of people who vote, even though they're much a much smaller percentage of the population. 
And, you know, my, I, I did research among white evangelicals in Colorado, um, really got to know their worldview. And, you know, for many of them, they really don't, don't fully believe in the separation of church and state. So there's a whole wide variety of, you know, kind of criticisms of that. Um, some people are with what is called dominionist, which where they believe that, uh, you know, Christianity should be like kind of the guiding, should have dominion over the state. Um, but many feel like the state, you, you know, the United States was started as a Christian country. It was blessed by God and should remain in following kind of, if, it, if, if, if it's not following what they believe is like God's imperatives, that um, the United States will be punished. Um, and so, you know, what they're, I mean, the main issues that um, white evangelicals have focused on has been opposing um, LGBTQ rights and opposing um, abortion access, like wanting to make abortion illegal. And so I think, you know, that's like, I, I think that as they are increasingly successful on, on especially the abortion front, I think that that movement, um, which has been very active in shaping Republican politics um, for decades, will likely expand. Um, right now, they're clearly expanding to target LGBTQ rights, and many of them really want to also overturn, have the Supreme Court overturn Obergefell versus Hodges, which, you know, granted marriage equality. Um, and so I think, you know, their vision, but I think what many people who are not part of that world don't understand is that that's a, that's a, a vision of their idea about what the state should do. And that state morality is really rooted in like it's very much rooted in policing sexual, what they understand as sexual morality and defending the nuclear and patriarchal family. And that that's kind of the only role of the state, right? And so you have like all, um, like, you know, this one one example of from Texas, the Lieutenant governor who um, kind of made, got a lot of attention for a, a statement that he made about uh, early on um, in the COVID pandemic where he said, you know, like, uh, there's more important things in life. Grandparents would go out there and sacrifice their lives so that they're for their children and grandchildren's eco economic futures. Right? Like, there's more important things in life. But he also is very, identifies as being very pro-life, has supported every Texas, you know, anti-abortion policy and, you know, really identifies as a pro-life person. And, you know, without each of those pa policies that are passed, make statements about, you know, this is so important to be pro-life. And so I think if we look at that kind of vision, right, about, okay, there's more important things in life for grandparents, <laughs> but there's nothing more important than protecting fetuses, is that, you know, it's this vision where, like, the state's job to be, it's like their moral job is to basically stay out of the economy and let, you know, capitalism reign, um, but then to really be involved in regulating the family in terms of, you know, like regulating, re like regulating families so that if they're patriarchal and heterosexual, um, they're left to their own devices, they can raise their children however they want, they don't have to vaccinate their children, right? It's like freedom within a certain set of families. Um, but policing to make sure that that the only family, the only legitimate family by the state is a heterosexual family. 
and reproduction only takes place in in the family or at least under the control of a man right and i think uh, you know if we look at what abortion does is it takes reproduction outside of the family unit and into so that it's the individual woman right and so it's a very different idea of freedom you know they want freedom for patriarchal families to function as they will but not for individual women to have freedom over their own bodies because that kind of challenges um, that worldview. But I think it's not just that they don't want women to have freedom, right? It's part of a much bigger vision of both the family, but also the state and kind of what makes the state moral um, is through that. And that's just a very, I mean, they're in a, uh, that is a minority view in the United States, um, but they've, achieved a significant so much political power that they're able to kind of implement that, that view increasingly on the entire country. So it really seems like what's at stake here is these competing definitions about what it means to live freely and kind of what that really means um, in people's lives. And I know we only have a few minutes left with you. And so, I, of course, I want to send a real loaded question your way. But I'm curious if you think our political climate is changing enough for a more permanent rethinking of what the 4th of July means. Or do you think it'll just kind of continue for most Americans to be the fireworks and the matching Old Navy outfits and kind of like this day of celebration, even as for different reasons, Americans tend to feel that our country is in decline. Right. So I think it's increasingly going to, people are going to be increasingly asked to take a side. Right. And, uh, and, you know, this partly that's about the other seismic shift that's happened in the United States. Like one is the demographic change and the other is social media and the central role of social media in so many of our lives, which, uh, you know, has been a way to really politicize people in ways that haven't happened in the past, right? And extremist and like far-right anti-democratic actors have really taken advantage of social media algorithms to reach new people. Um, but it's also a way to kind of attach, you know, there's increasingly 4th of July parades, you know, and I'm I'm from the Northwest. I I'm doing research in the Northwest on opposition to white nationalism. And, you know, across that region, especially in smaller towns, like Fourth of July parades, which were always kind of just the community event, right? People could see whatever politics they wanted to in them increasingly are, you know, being organized by far-right groups, anti-governmental groups, um, pro-gun groups. Um, And so I think it's in some ways, like there's that dynamic is happening. But I also think increasingly... It's just going to, we are going to be asked to kind of think, how do we define this? You know, how do we, how do we define the history of the United States? Um, And, you know, what kind of a country are we imagining it's going to turn into in the future? It's changing, right? It's changing dramatically. Um, uh, But how do we want, what, what do we imagine like that? You know, what kind of like positive view do we have about the the country moving forward? And what, what is it going to take to get there? And either that's, you know, and I think we're going to be, people are going to come down. It's mainly two sides, right? It's a side of, are we going to be for freedom for everybody, <laughs> right? Or are we going to be for freedom for some, right? And a limitation of rights based on different forms of prejudice. 
Well, that's all the time we have with Sophie Bjork-James. Sophie Bjork-James is Assistant Professor of Anthropology at Vanderbilt University, where her research focuses on race and racism, white nationalism, the religious right in the U.S., and reproductive politics. So, in other words, we really need to have you back on soon. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. Thanks for the great conversation. Take care, everybody. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Rochelle Wilson, and we just wrapped up our conversation with anthropologist Sophie Bjork-James about the contested meaning of Independence Day. Now for the second half, I'm joined by WART producer extraordinaire Nate Carlin to host an open line for these final 30 minutes of the show. We'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on Independence Day, especially if you're rethinking the holiday or if you're boycotting it this year. Give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. I'm going to give out that number again. Write it down. 608-256-2001, extension 9. I'll also try to keep an eye on the A Public Affair page on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at WORT Talk. But the best way to reach us is by phone, 608-256-2001, extension 9. So I'm live in the studio right now with WRT producer Nate Carlin. Nate, how do you feel about the 4th of July? Well, it's uh, definitely been a new year <laughs> for thinking about the 4th of July. Every year, of course, you, you, you it, it is a day that invites reflection. So every year, you it's grows in its complexity as our uh, national landscape continues to shift. And this year has been, yeah, I think one of the angrier Fourth of Julys in my memory. I don't know about you. No, absolutely. I think that so it's it, it creates such mixed feelings. Uh, Sophie Bjork James was talking about social media. And I do think that this kind of performance of how you feel about the 4th of July happens on social media. And on Facebook, you know, I'm just kind of seeing this blur and this mix of the normal excitement for fireworks and grilling and American flags and this and that and the other quotations and eagles soaring through the air. And then you have this group of women who, uh, women in particular, but also allies who are mourning this day and choosing this day to boycott and, and not celebrating the day. And I am really curious to hear from listeners what you've been thinking and doing when it comes to the 4th of July this year, 608-256-2001, extension 9. Nate, a question for you, because back when you and I first met, you asked me if I considered myself patriotic, and I was pretty quick to say no, if I recall correctly. And that's because the performance of patriotism we most often see in the U.S. is like flag-waving, border-closing American exceptionalism with a healthy dose of white nationalist politics and a dash of xenophobia for good measure. What do you think? Is it possible to be patriotic as a leftist American? And can the concept of patriotism ever be reclaimed? Or is it just not really a very good value to begin with? Well, actually, yeah, my thoughts on this have changed since I first asked you that question. Um, because I think the, the, the answer I would have given you five years ago is that it's important for anyone who has sort of ideological leanings that are different than... Uh, this sort of the the state line, uh, the usual American ideology, is that it's important to separate the state from the people, and that you can support the people around you, your community, um, the, all these people that are technically Americans without 
endorsing the actions of the state, the government, the America when it's just in the headlines, you know, invading Iraq or whatever it may be. Um, and I, I, so my first instinct was always to distance the people from the state. But I do think uh, Sophie Bjork James brings up a really interesting point that a, a similar distancing is happening on the right, that there is this sort of we are still the people, the state no longer represents us argument happening there. So I, I do wonder if we are both abandoning sort of the identifying with the state as a position, the left and the right. And if so, wh- where does that leave us? Does the state actually need someone to believe in it in order to go on functioning? And is that what the 4th of July is going to turn into? It's just this like attempt to like buoy up morale <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the way that the parades have, it's easy to see when other countries turn towards extremist nationalism, they don't lose their patriotic uh, rituals. They just they actually get more intense. And you, you can imagine the 4th of July where there are tanks rolling down the streets of D.C. or New York or the kind of extreme militarism that can show up in these things. Um, that's not that far away from how we... So some people think of American patriotism. And so are we headed in that direction of this or are we headed towards? Yeah, I mean, the question of celebrating freedom, it's a very open ended one. Who's freedom? What is freedom? I think Sophie Bjork James hit it on the head. I mean, this is just we've never really agreed on what freedom meant. So, of course, we've never agreed on what the Fourth of July is. So I'm hearing from our executive producer and news director, Shelley Pittman. I'm seeing online, and I didn't see this beforehand, that there's a pro-choice rally at the Capitol right now, and protesters are wearing black. That's definitely something I've seen some of my friends saying online, that um, wearing black is a sign of mourning of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, if you happen to somehow be attending that protest and listening to this conversation, we definitely want to hear from you. 608-256-2001, extension 9. Or if this day just means something different to you this year. And I think it does for me. I think that it's, as Sophie Bjork-James was pointing out, it's really been kind of ratcheting up these last few years with protests about George Floyd, with COVID, um, with the rise of white nationalism. I think more Americans are feeling uncomfortable about this day or they're what used to be just kind of an unabashed celebration now feels tempered with a little bit of shame or sadness. And I don't know, do you think it's going to be like that forever? Or do you think we're just sort of in a temporary moment? Well, yeah, it's a, that, that question of shame is really interesting to me. I, I, I imagine that this will be forever, and I'm not afraid of that. Like, um, our history is a shameful one. A, a, a holiday that is built around thinking about that history, as our thoughts get more well-informed on our own history, it's okay that it carries with it a modicum of shame. Uh, there are things in our past perpetuated under the guise of American freedom, including the Declaration of Independence's discussion of uh, indigenous rights that are, are embarrassing and, and shameful. And it's okay to live with that. That's not like betraying your country to recognize that. Um, so yeah, I, I think a 4th of July that, that contemplates the crimes that America has committed in the past is not, is not 
it hasn't lost its like its way. It's it's become wiser. We do have a comment through Facebook. Uh, this comment says, your guest in the first half asked some pertinent questions. Would it be possible to get a conservative on the show for a respectful explanation of the core beliefs for the purpose of government? I, as the producer, could probably arrange for that, but it all sort of depends on people agreeing to be on the show, people agreeing to host that show. But I do think I can speak a little bit to this just from someone who grew up in a very religious and conservative household. I think that for Americans who are Christian, there really is this sense that God has blessed this nation and set it aside for those who wanted the free practice of this religion. Um, And so I think that it's a very sincere belief for many. I don't think it's just always cynical and and always meant um, as a dagger. And I think that this is a group of people who wants to be able to sort of live freely and openly with this particular set of values and especially these family values. And the 4th of July is kind of a way to do that. So I understand that this is a sincerely held belief for many people, and that is creating a lot of discomfort right now to have things that you held as beliefs uh, without maybe much questioning through your life suddenly be on the table uh, for lots of heated debate. And for some people, the overturning of Roe v. Wade was a cause for celebration. It's a um, mission that they've been on for many years, many decades. So I absolutely understand that this is um, this is a set of beliefs that many people sincerely hold. And that makes this day also a, a little bit uh, maybe awkward for them in a new way. Yeah, I agree. I think the question of the Christian role in the state is um, a, a central point of disagreement between conservatives and uh, liberals. Um, and the separation of church and state is not constitutional. It's not written down anywhere official. It's in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote one time when he was president. Um, it's not... You can imagine a Christian nation of America... And many people do and, and actively want that to happen or think it had happened previously and want to return to that. And um, that's different than other people's visions for America without you know, necessarily coming down to one side or the other. It, it is incompatible with other people that live in this, this country. So we do have a caller on the line right now. Thomas, you're on the air. Uh, thank you. Yes, uh, I believe that this country... Uh, is going towards uh, a, a fascist state because, like you have just said, uh, Christian nationalism wants the Bible to be the determination of how people live in this country, and they have combined, of course, with the Republican Party and now, of course, the Supreme Court justices to kind of bring that about, limiting other people's freedom who thought, well, you know, I can be free in this country and say what I want and so forth and so on, and that my my uh, life and the way I live it will be respected, if not, uh, if not necessarily respected, but at least tolerated. And I think that's no longer the case. We now have, the, like you say, the Supreme Court, which is basically 
in my opinion, basing their uh, uh, their view, uh, the, their uh, uh, decisions based on a religious basis rather than on a secular basis. And uh, I'll hang up and thank you for the program. Thanks so much for calling in, Thomas. And this is your reminder that you too can call in to a public affair at 608-256-2001, extension 9. I'm also trying to keep an eye on Facebook, where we're a public affair, and on Twitter, where we are at WORT Talk. And again, the number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. Nate, I'm going to toss this to you because I think you know a little bit more about the history of fascism than I do. But what does that kind of conjure for you when someone brings up um, that America is going in a fascist direction? Do you think that that's, you know, a legitimate concern or do you think that the language is a bit imprecise? Um both. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if, if we think of fascism as a sort of a... Uh, a historically contained movement uh, in Europe in the uh, mid, early to mid 20th century, then of course doesn't quite apply. But if you think of it more as sort of a, a desire to use the tools of the state to have a sort of ethno-nationalism be the, uh, the state policy, then yeah, I think you, you could definitely make the, the claim that there are people that have a fair bit of power in American politics that, that have that vision that are dominionists. Yeah. Um, and I think that Thomas also points to something that is a concern for many that, whereas I think some see it as a privilege of living in the United States, that Christianity is kind of taken for granted and considered a majority religion, whether or not it actually demographically is, uh, on the other hand, I think we're starting to see some of the backlash. We do have another caller on the line. Wally, go ahead with your question or comment. Hi, thanks for the important topic here today. Um, I guess I just, as a person who grew up in Wisconsin and as an American, I consider myself to be quite patriotic and I enjoy wearing the red, white, and blue and shooting guns, but I am not a fascist and I would use that to oppose fascism. So I think that that confluence of patriotism and fascism um, here in Madison, especially, we can see that I think a true patriot speaks for his country and his, and his fellow person and not uh, anything else besides that. Thank you so much for that, Wally. Did you want to say more about your ideas about patriotism or about how you're celebrating the fourth? Uh, I mean, I'm going to be going out and uh, playing kickball in the rain here and, and grilling meat as you might suspect i often play horn uh for and to the marches and i listened to those this morning and that made me feel you know the kingly feelings of uh, eating candy off a parade route and, and hanging out with my family and so i think that that um and my whole family we support uh freedom and, and public voice and uh, the rule of the people um for everyone and i think we're all quite patriotic but uh not fascist Thank you so much, Wally. I really do appreciate that opinion, someone who's taking back patriotism in a way. And if you think that's you, or if you just have another idea about what this holiday means to you, we do have the phone lines open, and our main purpose today for these next about 14 minutes is to hear from you. That number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. If you would like to call, thanks to Thomas and Wally for hopping on the air with us already.
I'm actually thinking about music history right now and how a lot of songs meant to critique end up co-opted by the mainstream as like a celebration. This Land is Your Land comes to mind or like Born in the USA, which was used by Trump and his supporters for a while as a kind of anthem. I don't think Bruce Springsteen was too happy about that. And it it calls to mind for me that that flip double coin of patriotism, kind of like what Wally was bringing up. Who gets to be a true patriot in America right now? Yeah, um, I think, you know, to, to go back to the, the Frederick Douglass uh, quote, there, there is a part of patriotism that people on the left, again, like to celebrate, which is that you should be critical of your nation when it deviates from from freedom for all. And that there's this part of patriotism that, that has critique so that something like this land is your land can be both patriotic and uh, anti other parts of America, if you will, or, or ideas that, that maybe are, are go unquestioned in America. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a, a, a place to wed patriotism with critique. Um, again, though, it, 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 I always I'm starting to trip up on this where you, that is exactly the kind of patriotism, quote unquote, that far right shows like a love of people. And their definition of people is maybe different than my definition of people, but a love of people that transcends the state and that they are interested in restoring the power of their people to the state. And that that's it's weird to see the sort of the some of the ideas of the left of maybe we shouldn't be so loving of our government sort of come back around on the right. We do have another caller on the line. Jeff, you're on the air. Hello. How you guys doing? Hey, I'm pretty good. Uh, thanks for calling in. All right. I have a couple of questions, really, or things I'd like you to, affirm, to, to uh, define. What is the official name of Nazi, the Nazi party in Germany? Any of you two know? In America? In the United States? No, in Germany. No, no, no. The Nazi party in Germany. What yeah. is it really called? Uh, What's the Demi- of? Socialist Nationalist Party? I mean, yeah, in German, the, but... <laughs> yeah, it was the National Socialist Democratic Workers Party. Okay? So... There's one thing, just to throw out there, and the other is, what kind of government are we supposed to be ostensibly be living in right now? I mean, what is America truly? What is it supposed to be? Uh, representative democracy? Where are you going with this? No, it's a republic. And the principle of a republic is that there are certain, quote, inalienable rights defined in the founding document that you and a hundred other people can't get together and now vote for me. And so I think when, you know, when you say, well, people are all upset about this and that. Well, because, you know, the whole concept of this government is that, you know, it's a republic. There are certain rights that you cannot outvote, right? And we've, we've strayed very far from that. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. And then, so this left-right paradigm, I believe, is a false one, which is the whole thing I'm trying to get to, because, you know, the, the whole idea, if you want to govern, you know, get people pitted against each other, left, right, all these jingoistic terms, you know, it's, it's Machiavelli to the tent. And that's, that's what I like to leave you with. Well, thanks for calling right? in. I mean, the whole, the whole, I mean, people think they're fighting this great struggle when actually it's the same power structures using them both against each other. That's the main point I'm trying to make. 
thanks for calling in, Jeff. Um, Nate, do you have a response? And actually, before I invite you to respond, I will invite others to call in in our final 10 minutes. The number is 608-256-2001, extension 9. We'd love to put you through on the air, but I know when folks are calling in in those last two minutes, we sometimes can't fit you in. So it's now or never in these next few minutes here, 608-256-2001, extension 9. Oh, we do actually already have another caller on the line. Francisco? Hello. Hi there. Hi. um, Yeah, um, I... Uh, before I say my comment, I think that um, the the comment that the last speaker made uh, was that the binary system is sort of rigged, that neither party is representative of the people. I think that's uh, a pretty cynical viewpoint. And I think that's what, you know, certain elements in the government want you to think so that you do not vote and, the, you know, they can just, you know, do whatever they want. Um, I think that yeah, I mean, both prob- both parties have problems, you know, um, in terms of, you know, donations, corporate backers and uh, dark money and all of that stuff. But uh, when you look at the vision uh, of in, of both parties, uh, their platform, well, the Republicans don't even have a platform, but it, they're, they're widely divergent. And, you know, the people that can't see that, you know, are the same people that said uh, there's no difference between Trump and Hillary. And, uh, you know, I think that those people need to grow up and and understand this is our system. This is a system that we have. And you need to make the best choice possible. I always I I told I used to tell my friends, you know, if if it's the difference between eating a crap sandwich or a a dirt sandwich, you're going to pick the dirt sandwich because it's not going to send you to the emergency room. It'll taste yucky, but it's not going to kill you, (laughs) you know, Um, (laughs) But but my my comment was just about the elephant in the room, which is the religiosity of this country um, in terms of a develop a developed country. I mean, I I know that um, right uh, right wingism or, or you know rightism is is cropping up in Europe also, but they're not wrapped in religious uh, in the in in the Bible, so to speak. They they're mostly about immigration and, uh, you know, bringing the country back to, like, its ethnic purity, which very much is the same as here, but um, having that extra um, layer of religiosity um, makes them um, bring in a lot more people that um, if otherwise might not agree with what they're talking about. Um, and, and I do think that, you know, so-called Christians, moderate Christians, are in a way enabling the extremists because you're agreeing to their basic premises. They're actually better followers of of the of Christianity than you are because they stick to uh, those prohibitions and those uh, you know outdated tenets a lot better than you do. You're just a cherry picking Christian, so to speak, and so I feel that. It's the 21st century. People need to wake up and realize that these, you know, Bronze Age uh, commandments or whatever, they don't apply at all to, you know, the reality of the 21st century. We understand biology. We understand sexuality. We understand psychology. um, And we understand a lot more. We understand science. And 
for people to put aside their rationality and, you know, once you swallow one fairy tale, you can swallow any of them. And that's why, you know, you, you see these people falling for these, um, like, outlandish uh, stuff that they see on the Internet. You're like, how can someone fall for that? That just seems ridiculous. You know, like a pedophile ring in a pizza basement. Like, if you know that, how come the FBI is not acting on it? But they, they have no rational thinking because they've put that aside, and that's called faith. When you, when you get used to doing that... It's easy to do that in, in other areas of your life, and I'll take my I'll take your reply off the air. Thank, thank you, Francisco, and thanks for reminding us all of PizzaGate. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in a, in a minute. Uh, we do have another caller on the air, Don. You're on the line. Hi, uh, thank you for the program. It's very important. I guess I'd uh, like to sort of move in the uh, direction of trying to define what freedom means, and you know, for what the com- the topic has been for a lot of people, it's about the right to choose or religion or guns or some form of patriotism, what have you. But the way I look at it is that none of us are particularly free because most of us are subservient to jobs that control us. And in jobs, I also include school that control us on a, a daily basis and reach not beyond the eight or ten hours we spend there every day, but reach into every facet of our life. And even the most uh, superficial analysis of that is that most of us check every single one of our civil liberties in the minute we walk in the employer's door. We have no liberties. We have Our rights are gone. Uh, the bosses are completely in charge of us. And what that does to us as people, and I'd just like to quickly read a quote from Studs Terkel in this um, comes from his book, Work, Working, uh, and this is what he had to write. Work is by its very nature about violence to the spirit as well as to the body. It is about ulcers as well as accidents, about shouting matches as well as fistfights, about nervous breakdowns as well as kicking the dog around. It is, it is above all or beneath all about daily humiliations. And so we're de- humiliated daily in this, in this hierarchical society And so I think, and that has a major impact on us and what we're willing to tolerate from the the small number of people who really control this place. And so I think we need to expand what we mean by freedom, that definition, a critical analysis of what freedom means. So that's my comment, and I know you're running short on time. So thanks for the program, and I will say goodbye. Thank you, Don. You've got some vigorous nodding around here. So we really appreciate you calling into the show and your comment about freedom as it pertains to sort of workers' rights and working people brings us kind of full circle back to the beginning of the show when I mentioned the People's Independence Day uh, march taking place in Milwaukee. And they talked about how it's not politicians, it's not the courts who give us our freedom, it's the working people who claim it for ourselves. And so I think that there is definitely an entire show to be had in that um, definition of freedom as it comes to our working lives. We have a couple more minutes here before we fully wrap, and I want to toss it to you, Nate, for just kind of final thoughts on the fourth as we send people off. Well, yeah, to, to build off that caller, which was a very interesting discussion. Um, yeah, it's important to remember that Fourth of July is also a holiday, and a holiday is supposed to be a day of rest. And it doesn't, you don't need to take with you all of the political salience into your home. You can leave stuff 
the stuff that you don't want to take, you don't have to bring it. And just have a day where you're surrounded by the things you choose and you care about. And that is freedom. And there's definitely a freedom to a day off work. It's true. And I brought it up at the top of the hour. Thank you so much to everyone who is working today and providing services to other people and um, not able to take this day off. And thank you to all the service workers who have the day off but aren't getting paid. Uh, I would hope to continue to fight so that that can happen for more of us. I absolutely feel that way this 4th of July as well. It's hard to begrudge anyone an opportunity to see a little bit of light um, in this dark world that we live in. So I do hope that those of you who are listening have a happy 4th of July, whatever that means to you. And that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks to our guest at the top of the hour, Sophie Bjork-James, and to Nate Carlin for co-piloting the second half with me. Thanks, too, to all of you who called or wrote in to share your stories. And this hour of radio was produced and hosted by me, Rochelle Wilson. Next up on Madison Bookbeat, George Druckmann will be in conversation with Megan O'Jiblin about her latest book, God, Human, Animal, Machine. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth has never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. Woo!